guys ready for some like crazy word? You guys like, here's what I, I mean, I'm kind of in this deal where I just want the truth. Like, I just want to know what the Bible says. I, I don't really, and you've heard me talk about this. We've been talking about this for years. I really give a rat's rear end about your denominational views. I want to know what is God saying. And, and Lord, what are you saying in your word to me? Not what a denomination or a person or something is trying to get you to do. Like, my one desire for you guys, honestly, is that you would know Jesus deeply. And that you live freely and let others know by how you live, how you love Jesus. That's it. That's it. When we tithe, we're given unto the Lord. When we give our time, we're given. That's all I, like, all I, this, we care about the bigger kingdom. And so going through that and going deeper into the word of looking at the word and saying, what does the word actually say? You begin to experience things and God shows you stuff that you really, I mean, it's crazy. I'm not denouncing commentaries. Please don't think I'm denouncing commentaries. But you, you begin to realize really quick that the Bible is its own commentary and the Holy Ghost is the commentator that takes you through it. And that it, if you'll just take the time, God gives you all the nuggets you need to piece it together that points to Jesus. It gives you understanding of the story. Now, this may sound funny because I'm kind of talking myself out of a job, so to speak, right? Some people would say, I think some pastors are afraid of that. Honestly, I think they're afraid if they, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, well, then what do we need church for? Because we need each other to gather. That's what the body does. And we have someone that brings the word and we teach to become that person. You guys track what I'm saying? Like we live in this crazy world right now. We know that Israel is just going ballistic. It's so funny too. I watch all these nations come out and say that Israel's being too harsh on, on Gaza and the Palestinians. I'm going too harsh. Where was this a week and a half ago? Where was this sentiment a week and a half ago when they butchered and beheaded babies, raped women? Where was this sentiment then? They were laughing on that side. Now, the rooster, the chickens have come home to roost. There's no sentiment on my behalf for that. I don't have any, I don't feel sorry for them. Am I deeply concerned by the loss of life? Absolutely. I don't want anyone to die without knowing Christ or the pain and suffering. But at the same time, you brought this, man. You brought it. And I've never seen a military, honestly, and then I'm, we're going to get right in the word. I've never seen a military do what Israel does, honestly. Do you think if that would have happened to America that we would drop pamphlets and tell them in three days we're going to invade you? Israel does that, and they've always done that. We're going to invade you in three days. We're going to give you an opportunity for everyone to get out. Listen, Iraq, okay, here's one, for instance. It's one of my favorite stories of all time, okay? In 1986, Muammar Gaddafi, the leader of Lebanon, or Libya, threatened the United States of America publicly. He went out and he said, we are going to start bombing your buses and your schools in less than 12 hours. No warnings. We blew the holy Hannah out of his palaces, killed his family members. There was no warning signs. It was like, oh, you want to play the game? 
you didn't even blow up anything yet. They just threatened, and Ronald Reagan goes, oh, you'll play the game? Send it now. So I look at this, as much as we say we want the Israelis to know Jesus Christ, they still, it's, it's no, there's no perfect people. They're still governed by God. And they play this rules of war that make no sense to me. We're invading in three days. We're going to blow that building up. You have six hours to get out of it. What? And yet the people say, oh, it's the Jews' fault. It's this fault. No, they're just taking back what's rightfully theirs. And we need to thank the Lord for that. I tell my kids this. They talk to me all the time or other people. I tell them, guys, you realize there's nothing for you to be afraid of unless you don't know Jesus. There's nothing you need to be afraid of. Because you were handpicked by Yahweh to live in the end times. Think about that for a minute. I was talking with Woody. We had a trip this week, and I was talking to him. I said, man, I used to think, man, I, I was born a couple centuries too late. I would have just done really well in the Old West, you know? Dude stole my horse. <laughs> I, and I realized that now I'm living in the right time. I'm living in the time that God wants me to live in. And he's blessing us all to be able to see these things that were spoke about for thousands and thousands and thousands of years come to pass. And now it's like, what will you do with it, son? Will you become more emboldened and talk about me or will you shrink? It's like what we talked about last week. This whole generation judges comes into place because the entire generation, the entire is the entire people, they worship God, but they didn't tell their kids about God. And so their kids had no understanding of why we worship Yahweh. And so they went through their own way, and that's how we really are into judges. And so going through it this week and studying it, there's just these unique things. And even this morning, God was showing me stuff, and I was like, boggling my mind trying to write stuff down and going oh my gosh how have I never seen this so I want to get through a long list of things to help us understand even more so what is taking place judges is relevant for us today the book of judges is relevant for us today the thing is we don't know how much time my personal belief is we're going to go through a period of the sentiments of the world has changed and I'm not saying dates but we're going to go through a little bit of a period of time when Things are going to turn right in the world. People are tired of things. People are tired of wokenism. They're tired of all this LGBTQ stuff. They're tired of all this, like, let's support the people that kill people, blah, 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 right? Like, I just saw it, too, where in, this, in California, this lady robbed a store, <clears throat> got in her car, drove, got in a car accident, right? The cops roll in. She gets out, she's fighting the cops. Cop just throws her to the ground. She's a bigger lady. And then she keeps fighting, so the cop just punches her right in the face. Just lets her have it and then cuffs her. And the article is like trying to shame, like how could this happen in our world today? Then I went to all the comments to see what all the comments were. There's 139 people that commented on it and not one spoke poorly. People were like, yeah, you robbed someone? That's what you get. You freaking race your car and crash into other people. And then the dude that filmed it, they're all, what was this loser doing? This loser filming it should have got out of the car and went and helped the cop. That person's making our taxes go up. That person, you, you see what I'm saying? The sentiment in the world is changing 
to where before we were tolerating this evil, and now we're going, the sentiment of the world is going, no. Well, we're going to hit this uphill, my belief, we're going to go to this higher level, and then we're going to slide again. But when we slide again, will be the return of Christ. That's just kind of my belief. I don't, I'm not going to put time on it. You know, people always go, oh, put time on it. Like, I am not going to be that presumptuous and try to be God. Nope, I just want to be God's kid. Right? You guys just want to be God's kid. That's all. I, Papa, you do what Papa does. Sometimes my kids will go, I know it, my own kids, and my, I consider all my son-in-laws, they all look at me like, what's he doing? They, and I'll look at him and go, don't worry about it. Right? Let's, let's be real, men. Someone will ask us, even our wives sometimes, what are you doing? You go, don't worry about it. It's not for you to know. You get all butt burnt. Ladies get all butt burnt. Kids get all butt burnt. Man, he's old school. Yeah, guess what? This is just a dad that's trying to do something good for his family or protect his family for something you don't need to know. So you go about your day and have a good time. Be mad at me. I don't care. As God's kid, I want to go, God, there are certain things that are above my pay grade. You do what you do. And I trust you. I trust you. I trust you with not understanding why this world is this way. But I know the enemy gets a vote, but you get the final word. So I trust you. I trust you that my days, when it comes to an end, is not a surprise to you. I trust that you know the day I'll die. You knew it from before I was born. So it, I shouldn't be afraid because you're not afraid. God doesn't sit on the throne and go, what? So-and-so died today? It's a welcoming party, if you know him. He's like, hey, hey. He's telling all the heavens, guess who's showing up today, baby? you got to look at it this way. If you're going to risk big and do crazy things in the kingdom, you got to change your mindset. you got to start thinking like, hey, I don't know when I'm going to die. You know, you've heard me talk about this. Jesus hates cowards. If I die, I want to just bullet in the face. There's been times we've been doing certain things. I go, man, I'm not sure we're getting out of this one alive, boys. I'm really not sure we're getting out of this one I could say that thing, I don't want to die, but I can say that knowing that if my day is today, that right now, there's a party prep. Do you guys understanding this? I don't looking forward to that party just yet, because I'm enjoying this one. Even in all of its ills, I get to enjoy it because I get to see his greatness in my ills, even though the thieves and all that stuff y'all think about. The separation. You start thinking that way, you're doomed. You start thinking, there's a party waiting for me. I'm going to live hard and fast here. Life becomes an adventure. becomes real. I get to do things. And so Judges rolls into that. Also, just a quick update as we get into this. Uh, Hearts of Beauty Atlanta was amazing. Lisa was telling me last night, sent me some video, just hundreds and hundreds of women there. Um, we're getting excited about, you know, the women's conferences coming here, but also the Hearts of Beauty in Guatemala. And so they're already in the planning stages because Guatemalan ladies were in at the Hearts of Beauty, at this Hearts of Beauty. So phenomenal what God is doing and what Kavod gets to do. Uh, in it, what you all get to do in it. So, amen. Lord, open our hearts to your word today. Give us understanding. Um, 
We just love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Judges chapter 3. You guys ready for this wild ride? I'm going to talk about some stuff today. It's going to scare the bejeebers out of you. Okay? You guys good with that? All right. <laughs> it should scare the hell out of you. That's a good one. <laughs> Two guys got it. The rest of you are like, pastor's cussing again. Pastor's cussing. No, the word is so good, it will scare the hell out of you. Never mind. If you have to explain it, some people are like, nope. <laughs> These are the nations God left there. Now listen, this is interesting to me. These are the nations God left there, using them to test the Israelites who had no experience in the Canaanite wars. He did it to, to train the descendants of Israel, the ones who had no battle experience in the art of war. He left the five Philistine tyrants of all the Canaanites, the Sidians, the Hevites living in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to Hamath Pass. They were there to test Israel and see whether they would obey God's commands or were given to their parents through, that were given to their parents through Moses. But the people of Israel made themselves at home with the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They married their daughters and gave their own daughters to their sons in marriage, and they worshipped their gods. Now, sounds typical Bible story, blah, 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 blah. We pass over it to get to the cool stuff of how much money you're supposed to tithe. We pass over that stuff to say, oh, you see, you're not serving enough. It's all a joke. That's all manipulative trickery. What does the Bible really say? What's happening here? I'm reading through this and studying it for a few weeks and going through it, starting to realize that sometimes God will leave the enemy around me. He'll leave him encamped right next to me. I pray that he moves him away. Kill him, God, not me. Spare me and give me all his wealth. But sometimes I realize reading this that God will leave the enemy right around me to see if I will dwell with him or if I will dwell with the enemy. Because I was not in my youth. This is not, now I'm not throwing this at my, I had a great upbringing. I'm saying this to me. Because in my youth, I chose not to learn the art of war. I chose the art pleasure and God says well then I will leave the enemy next to you will you invite her in and dwell with her or will you dwell with your papa your choice it's biblical it's right here that's that stuff people don't like to talk about but it's right here God says it I left them there. One, I told you to drive them out, and you didn't. I told you that they would be a curse on you, and you didn't believe me. I told you that I showed mercy because you gave them an opportunity to either leave or stay and be wiped out, and you chose to not even tell them to leave because they're good looking. Because they bring you something. I was reading this, I was like, man, this Baal, this God Baal, and the Canaanite gods, and the, these Palestinian gods. I need to read this to you. I, there's several things. I, I just, 
Uh, there's this um, author that I refer to a lot. I, I love uh, Jewish studies. I'm doing Jewish studies and stuff. Ray Vanderland, I don't know if you guys have ever done it. He's a pretty decent dude. Well, let me read what he wrote about these gods real quick. So this god Baal is a fertility god. There's nine other gods made from this Baal god. So he's a fertility god that is about your children or your crops. He's the one that controls everything. But the relationship with Baal is you get what you give, so to speak, where if you give something, then you will get something in return. It's totally opposite of God, isn't it? The unconditional promise of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, that you must just receive it. You don't need to bring anything. Fertility, listen to the fertility cults. Only recently have scholars begun to unravel the complex religious rituals, rituals of Israel's Canaanite neighbors. Much of our knowledge of the origins and character of these fertility cults remains tentative and widely debated. What we do know reveals dark, seductive practices that continued to entice the people of God and had chosen to be witnesses of it, the origins of Judaism. The people of Israel developed their faith in the wilderness. Abraham lived in the Negev, where God made his covenant of blood with him and sealed it with circumcision. Moses met God in a burning bush in the desert. There he learned the greatness of God, God's name and received his commission to bring Hebrews out of it. God spoke to his people on Mount Sinai and reestablished his covenant with them in the Ten Commandments. Throughout the Israelites' 40-year journey in the, in the wilderness, their Lord accompanied them, protected them, fed them, and guided them to the Promised Land. There was no doubt that Yahweh was God of the wilderness. When the Israelites entered Canaan, they found a land of farmers, not shepherds. They had been in the wilderness. The land was fertile beyond anything the Hebrew nomads had ever seen. The Canaanites attributed this fertility to their god, Baal. And that was where the Israelites' problems began. Could the God who had led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness also provide fertile farms in the promised land? Or would the fertility God of Canaan have to be honored? Well, maybe to be safe, they should worship both Yahweh and Baal. An intense battle began in their minds and hearts of God's people. The book of Judges records the opening struggle, the Israelites' attraction to and worship of the Canaanite gods, God's disciplinary response, the people's repentance, and God's merciful forgiveness time after time after time after time. The earliest deity recognized by the people of ancient Near East was the creator god El, his mistress, the fertility goddess Asherah. You get that? His mistress. Better pay close attention here. Because it's about to get really real. Gave birth to many gods, including a powerful god named Baal, Lord. That's what it means. To have been only one Baal, who was manifested in lesser Baals at different places and times. Over the years, Baal became the dominant city, and the worship of El faded. A little side note, if you ever look at a picture of or a artifact of Baal, the actual draw, the, they did clay figures, 
looks like a lot like the aliens that people have found that they say the aliens. And so I don't believe in aliens. I believe that they're demons that have been killed that God's given us. The flashes you see is battles between the angelic and the demonic. Honestly, you look out showing Woody Dagger, what does this look like? He's like, holy crap, looks like the alien pictures. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. Baal won his dominance by defeating the other deities, including the god of the sea, the god of the storms, also of rain, thunder, and lightning, the god of death. Baal's victory over death was thought to be repeated each year when he returned to the land of death, the underworld, bringing rain to renew the earth's fertility. Hebrew culture viewed the sea as evil and destructive, so Baal's promise to prevent storms and control the sea as well as ability to produce abundant harvest made him attractive to the Israelites. It's hard to know why. Yahweh's people failed to see that he alone had power over these things. Possibly their desert origins led them to question God's sovereignty over the fertile land. I don't know, but here's the deal too. You would think that they would get it if they walked through a sea parted by God. Who really controls the sea? This fertility God or the God who created it? Asherah was honored as the fertility goddess in various forms and with varying names. The Bible does not actually describe the goddess, but archaeologists have discovered figurines believed to be the representations of her. She's, she is portrayed as nude, female, sometimes pregnant, with exaggerated breasts, and she folds out apparently as simple of the fertility she promises of her followers. Gets really in-depth here. What this happens, I'm leading to something here. done with that going through it I was interesting in my studies to read and I going through and then somehow God took me to Jezebel you know Jezebel Ahab the wife of Ahab Jezebel the ladies here are starting to get nervous this is what's happening in our world today and it's what was happening there so Jezebel, which is interesting to me, Ahab is supposed to be worshiper of Yahweh. Watch this. He's a worshiper of Yahweh. Jezebel is a promoter of Baal. Did you guys know that? She promoted the worship of, of Baal. And so looking at this, I went, oh my gosh. What is happening? The spirit of Jezebel in our world today. Right? Right? <clears throat> We need to look at the book of Judges as we continue through it. I want you to look at it not only in the spiritual side of the depth of who you are, but I want us to look at the personal, my personal life, like my life is the land flowing with milk and honey. You guys with me? Let's just play with it. I'm not saying that's what it is. We know it's not. So anyone online wants to pick me apart, they can pick it apart. Here's the deal. I want us to figuratively look at this, that your life is the land flowing with milk and honey, and God has chosen to dwell there with you, okay? You've been adopted from the wilderness and brought into the land flowing with milk and honey, and then the spiritual side. You guys tracking? All right. Jezebel and Ahab. I'm going to go through a few things before we get into these great dudes in chapter 3. Ahab... Married to Jezebel. His personality, you ready? He was passive, indifferent, 
and silent. So here's the man. Here's the man of the house. Here's the king of the kingdom. He's passive. He's indifferent. And he's silent. Oh, what does that mean to me? It doesn't matter what they do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Baby, I'm going to go. I want our guys to do more. I'm going to go sleep with them. You be you, baby. Honestly, this is, this is the deal with Jezebel. I'm going to go sleep with the servants to get more work out of them. You be you. You be you. I'm indifferent to the fact. He was all about him. Silently. Jezebel is domineering. High controlling. Some of the ladies right now. Man, there's arms crossed right now in the room. Some of the ladies are like, oh, I'm going to say it, Pastor, say it. How about jump up from this chair and claw your eyes? That's why I wear glasses, not because I have to, just to protect myself. These are some traits of a, dom- of a Jezebel spirit. Now, I want us to understand something. There is a direct correlation between, I'm not talking just about women here, because men can be Jezebels too, okay? I'm talking about the religious and the political spirit is that birth of the same, Jezebel. Okay, so you have to look at it not only from the institutional side, but the government side and the religious side of that institution, but you also have to look at what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes at a personal side. And maybe some things that are happening around you that you need to quit dwelling with and you need to fix. So number one, these Jezebel spirit is high controlling and domineering. All right? They are... They hate, they hate authority. They hate authority. The Jezebel spirit hates authority. Anything, until everything is good with this authority, with a Jezebel, until you say no. The moment you say no to a Jezebel, a Jezebel spirit, whether it be government, religion, or in a personal position, this moment you say no, no, I ain't going to do that. Ho, 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 ho. Crap's about to hit the fan, boys and girls. Right? They cannot take rebuke or correction. When was the last time you heard a government official that failed miserably take responsibility for it? You don't. They make excuses for it. Well, our tax base isn't too high. This person did this. Well, we're not like them. How many times have you heard the religious side, pastors? Well, my wife has been this, or I don't know the stress that I've been under, or blah, blah, blah. Those that fall under that spiritual, or even friends, or whoever, if you rebuke them, if you correct them, they will make excuses, and they will make it your fault, not theirs. That's the spirit of Jezebel. It's always someone else's fault. Relationship is bad, it's your fault. Country's bad, it's their fault. Church is bad, it's their fault. That's one of the traits of a Jezebel spirit. They want to control relationships, friendships, and groups. Everything has to go through them. Everything. How many served and been with pastors that, like, I, I kind of have this thing, like, I want to know. I trust our leadership. I just want to know what you're doing. I don't want to control what you're doing. And I say this a lot to our staff here. They'll come to me and say, hey, we want to do this, we want to do that. And I go, or you want me to do it? Because if I do it, then you have to do it my way because I have to take ownership of it. But if you do it, and it sticks within the vision, it's all yours. Just make sure Jesus is glorified. 
How many people have you served under before that everything has to go through them and they have to dictate everything you do, everything you say? That's a Jezebel spirit, spirit of control, whether it be, again, from a political view. You can't do that. You have to take the shot. Take the shot. The whole world will cease to exist. What does it matter to you? You'll die too, sucker. You don't understand. If you don't take the shot, we don't get the money. Oh, you don't. Don't say we. Don't lump me. Are you just we as your family and your personal group politicians? Because you are certainly not meaning we as a people because we know, ranting on the shots, Pfizer made $108 billion. There's only 8 billion people on the face of the earth. Pfizer could have gave 8 billion to we. You tracking? <laughs> We're not part of the we. The Jezebel spirit never considers you part of the we. Okay? The religious spirit of being in control. And if you, what it likes in the religious side is that no one does it like them. You can't preach like me. You can't evangelize like me. You can't do it like me. I'm the anointed one. I've heard tell of different places where I crack up because some people will come to me and they, I've heard it over the years, whether it be from BDF soldiers here, people will come to me and go, do I need a letter from you? I'm moving to another church in the city, moving from PG to the city. Do I need a letter from you that gives me permission to leave your church? Like what kind of holy hell is that? Like that is horrible. Who does that? That's the most unbiblical thing on the planet. That's between you and God. But that's what it's talking about here. This Jezebel spirit has crept in, not only in our homes, but in our politics, in our religion. I'm going through just really fast, guys. They just say, just follow me. Well, I want to follow. That's why I love what Paul said when Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. There was a difference. Why do you follow Paul? Because he follows Christ. Why do you follow this ministry, because they follow Christ. Why do you follow that pastor? Because he follows Christ. Why do you follow that pastor? Because he said so. Why do you go to that church? You start talking about the Bible, and they start telling you their denominational views. Good God, pastor of that church. Spend some more time teaching the word, and not your denominational views, because your denominational views will not get you into heaven. God doesn't care about your opinion cares about you but a lot of times our opinions are being shaped by outside influences of things that we're living with that should we shouldn't be living with and yet we try to justify it to God that my opinion's the right thing to do have you ever in your life told God what he should be doing and you're convinced of it and God is ignoring you and God's not giving it to you and God doesn't know what's happening and then three years later if God would have given you what you wanted, your life would be hell. And then you realize, do you have the courage, do you have the guts to go back to God and apologize for having the wrong opinion? You see what I'm saying? I'm grateful that God doesn't care about my opinion. Honestly, some people, 
oh, you can't say that. I'm like, relax, man. Relax. He doesn't. He cares about you. He cares deeply about your thoughts. He cares deeply about your pain and your suffering. He cares deeply about your dreams. But your opinion on how the world should run? Like me, he doesn't care about my opinion. What? Lord, let's just gather all the good nations and just crush everything. Let's just sweep through like Genghis Khan. <laughs> Kill all evil. He's like, he's up there going, yeah, not so good. I, your opinion isn't well-based. I think so. Let me be the commander! <laughs> you guys laugh a little bit because you know it's how you do it too, right? They want to control a Jezebel spirit controls information. It wants to control you and only give you the information it wants you to have. Religion, government, even in relationships. Again, if you disagree with a Jezebel spirit, man, there is, there is hell to pay. They are coming for you. You suddenly become blacklisted. Look at it politically. In my 20 years here, depending on the government party that you vote for, that whoever knows that you vote for either blue or red, and you have a government job, not a job that has to change when government changes, but workers that are doing a damn good job, that have a great reputation and integrity. And the moment the next political party comes in, they remove that person from their job. They don't give them key position. That's a Jezebel spirit right there. Total Jezebel spirit. It's wrong. There's no place for it. But we just go, again, back to what we were talking about. We're living with it around us, and we're adopting the lifestyle. Who are you choosing to live with? Who are you inviting to your door? They control the agenda. The Jezebel spirit, the government or religious or personal in our own lives, it's what's happening here in Judges. They want to control when you will be there, where you will be, what you will say, what you will do. Right? That's that Jezebel spirit. You'll do it this, like this, like this, like this. I don't know if we should do it like that. You don't know! The government. You'll do it like this, like this, like this. Well, it doesn't work like that. It will. You do it anyways, but we'll lose $100 million if we do that. I don't care. Do what I tell you to do. How many governments? How many? That's why it's so funny. You want ministries to run well in any government. Let a private industrial entrepreneur run it. Not a government. Because the government has endless money. You guys understand that? Your tax base. It's endless money. They don't care if it fails. How many youth programs have we seen fail in the country of Belize? In 20 years, how many millions upon I'll bet you it's close to $100 million in 20 years. How many failed? Because it runs for a few years, people get their money, the leaders get their money. It's a failed program. If you were to come to a ministry and say, like Kavod or another ministry, and say, here's $2 million for a youth program, 
that ministry would still be running today, 20 years later. And if it didn't, there would be a board of people that would make sure that the person responsible for wasting that money, there would be accountability. That's how private industry works. Government-run stuff is like, oh, our guys forgot to water the cornfield. So we lost $80,000 worth of corn. That's okay, replant it. Am I right or wrong? This is what has been, and it just controls. If you speak against it, you lose your job. You know? If you're at this church, you got to be here, blah, blah, blah. You just what you do. What, you don't come to this every meeting? Blah. I hate that. It drives me nuts. Are you going to that meeting? No. Why? Well, one, I need to sleep. And two, if I show up, the guys that have gifts that aren't using their gifts won't use their gifts. So now it's an opportunity for them to do use their gifts and run with something or let me come and do it all. And I won't do that because I can't do anything else. There, again, I'm telling you, you have to look at this at yourself as much as you look at others. Because some of us have the Jezebel spirit within us. Think about it. The last one is the most scary one that I'll hit today. The Jezebel spirit wants to control God. I will tell God, I kind of hit on it a little bit, my opinion. I will tell God what he will do and when he will do it. I will tell you what you need to know about God and what you need to know about God. That part of passage of scripture isn't for you. That's not for you. You ever been involved in a church like that? Some of you are going, yeah, right now. The reason why I bring that up is because this is the spirit. This is what has, these are the nations that are surrounding. This is the spirit that is brought in to the people of Israel. And like I said, God will sometimes let it because we didn't kill it when we were younger because we tried to tame it like we talked about, remember? We, didn't, we don't know how to kill Goliath because we, we, we never killed the lion or the bear. We tamed it. We made friends with it. And now we have a giant that we can't tame. And listen, we don't know how to kill it. And our lion and our bear turns on us. They gossip about you. And you're weak. The Jezebels all show up in the house. Right? Scary. And that's what happened here. It's what is happening here. Moving on to, to chapter 3. I want us to take a good look at something here. And then I'm going to tell you what, they're, what it means. Right? Kind of what, not what it means, like I'm not the authority, but I, I need to show you the poetry and the creativity of God. So this guy, Othanel, is the first judge of Israel. He's the first judge. And the people of Israel did evil in God's sight. God takes this serious in your sight. Like, they don't even try to hide it. They just do evil in the sight of God. They forgot their God and worshipped the, the Baal gods and Asherah goddess, the goddesses. 
Now to say that, these guys are doing crazy things. They're going out and having public sex. They're swapping wives. They're do- it is horrific what they're doing. Some of these gods, they're burning babies. They're sacrificing babies. They're slaughtering pigs on the altar. They're slaughtering sheep. Satan is not original, and he just tries to mock everything God does. Think about it. They Listen to this mockery. It should infuriate you. And it was even before Christ died upon the cross. They're mocking. Satan knew that God was going to bring his son, Jesus Cristo, Yahshua Mashiach, the first son, to be a sacri- his baby boy, to be a sacrifice for your sins. And what does the Baal God require? Take your firstborn and put them in flaming hands and burn your child to death to me. It's a mockery. It's what Satan is just all about. This is what's in the land. And they're doing it. God's hot anger blazed against Israel. He sold them off to Cushan, Roshanam, king of Aram, Napharium. The people of Israel were in servitude to Cushan, Rishashatham for eight years. Let me tell you what that name means. That name, that Rashithiam in Hebrew means double wickedness. When they were put into that bondage for eight years, they weren't only seeing wicked. This guy was double wicked. They named him double wicked. Everything he did was double wicked. Just let your mind go there for a minute. Everything. Ladies, you were not safe in that kingdom. And you had no say. None. Dudes, anything goes. Double wickedness. The people of Israel cried out to God. God raised up the Savior. Huh, interesting. You hear me say this all the time. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. They cried out to God. And God raised up a savior who rescued them. Caleb's nephew, uh, um, Uthanel, son of the younger brother, Kenez, the spirit of God came upon him and he rallied Israel. He went out to war and God gave him Cushan Rathasham, king of Aram Naharim. Uthanel made short work of him. Just killed him. The land was quiet for 40 years. Then Uthanel, son of Kenez, died. He became the savior. It's what he said. Hey, man, y'all, they saw what he did to this double wicked king that had power and no one wanted to mess with him. And he was, he was like, hey, y'all, y'all going to bring that in this house? Yeah, I'm bringing that house. I'll kill you before you bring that in this house. Okay, so yes, sir. And because there was a rule like that, a rule of goodness, ain't no prostitutes coming in this town, boys. We ain't going to do that here. Yes, we will. Kill them. Boosh. And the people lived in peace. I have my rights. Your rights don't trump other people's rights. Live as according to God. Man, this dude's a rebel, they say. Am I? No, I just love peace. 
This Othanel, there's this picture here. Remember it says that everyone died off, but there's this one guy, and he's the nephew of Caleb. He grew up watching Caleb, that's right, the Caleb of Joshua and Caleb. The Caleb that would go kill, give me the toughest part of the land, I'll take him. That's where the giants live, I'll kill him. Give it to me, it's the hill country, I'm 80, I'll go fight him anyways, I don't care. That Caleb. The Caleb who was adopted, that wasn't even an Israelite, was adopted into the family back in the journey across through the, into the promised land. That Caleb. That Caleb who was grafted into the family of Christ that learned directly under Moses and Joshua. That Caleb became one of the greatest worshipers of God you'll ever know. And Othanel watched him. He grew up watching Caleb not run from the enemy, but fight the enemy. He grew up watching a man work hard, not only in raising sheep and donkeys and whatever else, but also tilling the land. He saw a man that was a hard worker. He watched a man that was a hard worker. But what he really learned is that he watched a man who is a worshiper of Yahweh. And men who work hard that don't run from evil, that run too evil to kill it, and that work hard, those men worship God. And lazy men perish. That's what Othanel, this thing. Now here's what's funny to me. The word Othanel in Hebrew means God's lion. I want you to think about this for a second. God's lion. Caleb's and Joshua were the warriors. Fierce not to be messed with. Served under Moses. A man had power under control. Who did he raise up? When the people cried out, who did he raise up? A savior. Whose name means. Yahweh's lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who does God raise up to rescue his people? The very first judge is God's lion. You think that's a coincidence? This stuff blows me away, man. I just go, Lord, I can be done right now and just weep and cry of how much you love me and how much you put in. If we'll just look to see, God, I want to be your lion. I want to be your lion. Come on, Papa. Because doesn't every son and daughter want to be like their daddy and their mommy? You can't be God. I'm not saying I want to be God. I want to be your lion. Fierce and ferocious and courageous. I want to be you. I want to be like you. Ah, it's amazing. Ehud. But the people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. So God made Elagon, king of Moab, a power against Israel because they did evil in God's sight. He recruited the uh, um, Ammonites and the Amalekites and went out and struck Israel. They took the city of Palms, and the people of Israel were in servitude to Eglon 14 years. The people of Israel cried out to God, and God raised up for them a savior, Ehud, son of Gera, a Benjamite was left-handed 
The people of Israel sent tribute to him to Eglon, king of Moab. Ehud made himself a short two-edged sword, wrapped it in his right thigh under his clothes. He presented the tribute of Eglon, king of Moab. Eglon was grossly fat. This dude is a fat, 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 grossly fat. When I say grossly fat, I mean grossly fat. He's not overweight. He's not big boned. He's fat. Tubelard, basically. Right? The The Bible's not politically correct. He's grossly fat. You can't say that. He's a big boned person. I don't know if I like those Christians and that Jesus guy. They're not politically, they don't say things that are nice. Because if you're grossly fat, you're healthy too. In your mind, your poor heart's going, God, God. every second your heart's going, God, 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 God. It's pumping. Anyhow, I'm sorry. That's for all the haters. After Ehud finished presenting the tribute, he went a little way with his men who carried him. But watch this, this is important. But when he got as far as the stone images near Gigal, he went back and said, I have a private message for you, O king. We don't know here. He was, he, had a, he was intended to do something. He knew he was going to do this thing. Now, I'm, I'm, making, I'm not saying that this is, just stay with me. It's how I interpret it. So I'm not saying this is thus saith the Lord. But I wonder if Ehud has a us moment. I'm wondering if he's having an us moment. He knows he's supposed to kill this king. He's wicked. So he makes this knife and he straps it to his thigh and he gets there. There's guards there. The dude's grossly fat. This place is impenetrable. How will I ever get out? Maybe he's having a moment. It seems to me he's having a moment of, oh, crap, I can't do this. So he leaves. But when he's leaving, he sees these stone images, whatever they may be. And those stone images are either something that the Israelis built, a, a tribute to God. I have to do more study on it. Or they're images of Baal. I believe it's the images of Baal. And when he gets there, he sees it, and God captures his heart and says to him, Ehud, you were created for this time. Do not leave this to your children. Because something made him turn around, and he goes back. You see see what I'm tracking here? This is why I, I encourage you. Just read this stuff and you will be fascinated by it because you can see your story in the story. How many times in your life have you started to do something, then you go away and then you realize it's the wrong thing, so you have to go back and make it right. All the time. My story is in the story. It's never too late. It's never too late to become a hero. It's never too great. It's never too late to be great. Ehud approached him. The king was now quite alone in the cool rooftop room. He has lots of money. He says, I have a word. I have a word of God for you, Eglon. Stood up from his throne. He's sitting on the throne. Notice this, though. This, is a, this again, is a, a picture. It's a picture. I see the pictures. He says, I have a word of God for you. Dude sitting on the throne. He's the most powerful people, the most powerful figure Israel knows at the time. He's sitting on the throne. Ehud walks up and goes, I have a word for you. What does he do? He gets up off the throne. Why? 
I believe it's a picture that when we walk in in the presence of God with the authority of God, that which thinks it sits on the throne of the Most High has to get up from that throne because it has no authority on that throne. The authority comes with the man or woman of God. You guys tracking here? Like suddenly you go, oh, crap. He says this. Ehud reached, he gets up from his throne. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's big belly. Big fat belly full of jelly. Not only the blade, but the hilt. The whole knife. Like it's a knife. Even the handle. Everything. Like it's almost, it's funny and sick at the same time. I'd be like, whoa, whoa. It's like a monkey grabbing a piece of rice in a coconut thing trap. If you don't let go of the rice, you're going to get stuck there. His hand's in the belly of this fat man. That's what it's saying, basically. God's, I'm just going there. It's like it's up to his forearm and fat. And there's so much fat and grease and grossness in him. Watch what it says here. I ain't making this up. The fat closed in over it so it couldn't so he couldn't pull it out it was like his hands in there oh let go oh. just like sealed its own wound it's like a fixable tire dude you need to may i suggest to you that you go on a diet sir cut off as much fatty foods as you can Not only the blade, the hilt, fat closed in. Ehud slipped out by the way of the porch, shut and locked the doors of, to the rooftop behind him. Then he was gone. When the servants came, they saw with surprise that the doors of the rooftop room were locked. They said, he's probably relieving himself in the restroom. They waited and they waited. And then they worried. No one was coming out of those locked doors. They went and got a key and unlocked them. And there was their master fallen on the floor, dead. Where was their master not sitting? Come on, man. That is a hallelujah. Right? You have to see the picture in the picture of the story. God wants to see it. Where is the dude not sitting? The man of God comes in and says, I have a message for you, Mr. Fat King. You think you're God because you have all the money and you have all the power and you're a glutton. You're a Jezebel, my friend. And when the man of God comes in and says, I have a word from God, God was saying to this Mr. Fat Boy, you are not God, and today you will be judged by God. And my people will be set free. Look what it says. While they were standing around wondering what to do, Ehud was long gone. He got past the stone images, escaped to Sariah. Then he got there. He sounded the trumpet on Mount Ephraim. The people of Israel came down from the hills, joined him. He took his place at the head. He said, follow me, for God has given your enemies, yes, Moab, to you. He didn't say to me. He said to you. This is important. This is very important to understand that. They went down after him, and they secured the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites, they let no one ever cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10 companies of Moabites, all of them well-fed and robust. Not one escaped. 
That day Moab was subdued under the hand of Israel. The land was quiet for 80 years. The name Ehud means love, to praise, to unify. The Savior, God is a God of love. And Jesus brings praise to Yahweh. And he unifies the people, as it says in Deuteronomy, that one in a million are the same when they're in God. So what did Ehud do to the people that day? He united the people to love. He brought the people, he said to you, he brought them to him. The Savior that God used, this Ehud, he brought in to love. And what did they do? They praised God and they protected their borders. No longer would evil enter into our land. We will protect our borders. My question to me was, how am I protecting my borders? How am I protecting the ministry? How am I protecting myself personally? How am I protecting my family? Lord, how am I protecting my... Well, first and foremost, if you're at our house, you'll always hear me pray. Lord, encamp your warring angels around the four corners of this property and release your dogs of war. I don't know how biblical dogs of war is, but I know God loves dogs. And I, I have big, ferocious dogs, I believe, that are with my canine unit angels that just run our property and any kind of demonic thing comes after him, my belief is those dogs just put a hurt down on them. The last one, Shamgar. Shamgar. My newest grandson, you know, all my grandkids have nicknames. And I nickname all my grandsons after a biblical warrior. Eleazar, Joshua Boehm, well, Moose is Moses. They named him Moses. They, tried and stole, they stole it from me. They knew I was going to do it anyways, and now they're Shamgar. Shamgar. I'm not saying my granddaughters aren't warriors, but I don't want my granddaughters to be warriors. I don't want my wife to be a warrior. She's a warrioress, but I don't want her to be a warrior. I want my, I want my wife to be a queen. I want my wife to be exalted sitting on a throne where she's cherished and loved. And I want my granddaughters and my daughters to be the same. Do they know how to fight? Yeah, because their husband and their grandpa's a fighter. Their daddy's a fighter. But I don't want them to be. But I certainly want my grandsons to know that they're warriors. Shamgar, so our newest one. I just call him Shamgar. He smiles. Every time I call him Shamgar, he smiles. How old was when I saw him the first time? Six weeks? About six weeks old, I saw him. I was able to see him in August. And I was holding him. I look, I go, Shamgar at the airport. Shamgar. And he just grits a big old grin. I'm like, yes. I have done it again. Right? Shamgar, son of Anath, came after Ehud using a cattle prod, a sharp pointy stick. He killed 600 Philistines single-handed. He too saved Israel. doesn't say much, but it says it's a judge. That's all the Bible says of Shamgar. But he comes after Ehud. He's, he's this third judge. And obviously 600 of these Philistines came in and brought their foreign gods and their foreign junk and their foreign stupidity. 
and brought all that grossness into the house. And Shamgar says, nope, me and my pointy stick are going to kill every single one of you all by ourselves. The funny thing is, the name Shamgar in Hebrew means sword. Sword. Sharper than any two-edged sword is the word of God. Shamgar is a judge. He brings out the truth. He speaks truth, and his, his name means sword. And I thought immediately of Hebrews, he, his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to cut through the bone and marrow. I wrote this in my Bible. Lord, may I have a little bit of Shamgar in me that I am able to carve out the evil that does not belong in this land. May I be sharp like Shamgar. May I be a, a weapon of war for you. That's not politically correct, you see, Pastor. Pastors are supposed to be peaceful men. Well, if, if you'd missed the message on the peaceful stuff, you can come talk to me later about that. You've been mistaught that too, so that you'll sit quietly and become an Ehud. You'll become a passive man. You'll become a quiet man. An intolerant, right? You just, or I'm sorry, an indifferent man. That's what religion does. That's what Jezebel did to Ehud, right? Ahab, I mean. In her power, and because he was that way, she just kept him beat down. This is what the world that we live in is trying to do to us, guys. Chapter 3, the first three judges distinctly point to Jesus and distinctly show us that the sins of this world you're either going to live with or kill. Personally. You're either going to side with it I've had people say, well, this is how you get ahead in life. You just got to act that way. Not really. Not all the time. There's a time to act like that. I was having a discussion the other day with a guy. He called me. He was like talking about leadership styles and different things like that. And he's like, man, you can be harsh. I'm trying to figure out how, the, how this is and this goes with this. And so I, I said, well, now we're alone so we can talk about it. I said, in the time that you saw that leadership style, we didn't have time. You didn't have time, and I didn't have time to coddle you. There's a mission to be accomplished. And you were loved, and you knew you were loved, but you were struggling with something you didn't like. And in, in your immaturity, I'm not going to let those who don't know Jesus not know Jesus so I can comfort your immaturity. You either buck up, you have an opportunity to buck up, you have an opportunity in a safe place amongst men to learn and become who you're supposed to be. But I said, now I'll say this to you. There is a time in those situations where I say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee so we can talk about how you're feeling. You see what I'm saying? That's not an Ahab moment. That's a, that's a God's son moment. When you're going through hell, you ever heard this? What do you do? 
When you're going through hell, what do you do? Keep moving. Keep going. Don't stop and make a house there. Go till you get out. Don't let hell, don't give hell the keys to your house. Don't give them the keys to your house. Our country, our personal lives. The thing that drives me most as we close, the thing that drives me crazy about politicians and they sit here, I know it's political season when the politicians start showing up to church. I love them, but it's true. Politicians are masters of compromise. Well, there are certain things we should never compromise with, and that is sin. Well, we're going to pass this bill, but hidden in this bill is this amount of money for the, so that we can, you know, lower the age, the consenting age of our children to eight, twelve. Hey, who here has a kid under the age of 12 or under? Anyone? Anyone have kids here 12 or under? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You got, 12, you got kids 12 or under? All right. Uh, are you okay with the consenting age of your son or daughter being 12 years old? Do you guys understand the ramifications of this? How about your grandkids, man? 12? I'm going to have a prison ministry. Politicians go in that Jezebel spirit and they go in and they sit there and they compromise with evil. If you give us this, then we'll give this. And this is my point to us as a church today. This is what Israel did. We'll worship part of your God if you let us worship part of our God. And if you want to, you can come over and worship our God and make a mockery of him. We'll let you as long as we get what you have. Because from a guy's perspective, I bet you the ladies were good looking. If they weren't, there wouldn't have been a problem. Honestly, I'm not being crude. It's just a fact. If the chicks were good looking, the dudes are like, let's not kick them out. Especially if they're not following God. Or they cooked extremely well. No, I'm just telling you from a, a, a woman's perspective. Another thing is, from their perspective, the women that live with ungodly see things in the men that had kind of the blessings passed off to them in the nation of Israel and we're hardworking men like Othanel, and then what attracts, well, that guy will take care of me. And that guy, well, I guess outside of our religious practices of sleeping with prostitutes so we can have more kids. You see how demented it is? This is what's happening in our world today. Look at Belize. It's okay to have a wife and a girlfriend in every town that you work in? What kind of crap is that? But it's acceptable. It's acceptable here. It's wrong. There's no equality in this country, and you can pass all the laws you want. There's still no equality because women don't treat each other with equality. Think about that for a moment. Ladies don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. Because when, when did you stand up and say, that's crap, we ain't going to tolerate that. So you expect a law just for a job? You see what I'm saying? I'm not bagging on the fact. I mean, like me, I care less, man. If you're the best person for the job, you should get the job. It's my opinion. 
I don't care if you're a woman or a man. But ladies, look at what our society has adopted. We look at men themselves, especially if you have a sweetheart. You devalue yourself. Men, oh, you're not off. You devalue God because you're a representation of God. You're a representation of the head of a family. And when you have a wife and sweethearts, you devalue God by saying God's style of family is wrong. We've just let the world come right in. It's time to destroy the idols. Repent. Be delivered of the things that are haunting us. Burn them. Burn them. And live a life. A peaceful life. Going back to 2 Peter, and I'll close with this. Remember to be found as a peaceful man or a peaceful person is to be found complete in God. That when God returns, he finds one united with him, not one who is passive and indifferent and silent. Amen? Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Lord, just how you, just the names of who you pick just bring joy and peace to us. Lord, we live in this world, and Lord, we're not asking you to fix it. We're asking to partner with you that you've placed us here, and may we be your tools that fix us. May our voice become loud. May our actions become louder. May we partner with you. May we not tolerate the foolishness. May our homes be clean, our borders be kept secured. And Jesus, we can't do this without you. But Lord, we don't want to just sit back and watch you. We want to do it with you. We want to hold your hand, Papa, while you crush evil. And Lord, as kids, we do want to take credit, but we know it's all yours. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, guys. We made it another week. Judges 3, we did one old chapter. And Jezebel. We're going to do a bigger, deeper study, I feel like, on Jezebel. There's a few passages of scripture I really want to hit. I think Jezebel is one that's needed, um, not only for just because we don't want to point fingers, but even in our own lives. Because I I read that, go, I want to make sure that I'm not one of those. Amen? All right. Enjoy your Sunday, guys.